0: Welcome to Romans Road, the podcast of me, Eddie Roman. This is where we talk about evangelism and apologetics and all kinds of Christian stuff. We are here today with Mike Gendron. Mike is the director of Proclaiming the Gospel. Now, this is a ministry that I learned about a while ago. A friend of mine at church gave me some gospel tracks, and these tracks were specifically dealing with Roman Catholicism. And I'm at work today, I'm doing some interviews, and I find out that the same guy who made these gospel tracks that I love is the guy I'm talking to. So thanks so much, Mike, for uh, agreeing to do this with me here. I know you got a lot to do this this weekend. I really appreciate you uh, coming on the show.
1: Sure, my joy, my pleasure to be here with you. All
0: right, so Mike, you have been reaching out to Catholics for quite a while, 30 years from what I understand and you were a catholic yourself right so so how long were you a uh, catholic for
1: i was a catholic for 35 years and when the lord set me free by the truth of his word it turned my life upside down mm. i ended up uh, attending a evangelical bible believing church and the more i read the word of god the more i wanted to know more about it and to purge myself of all the doctrinal error that i had grown up with as a catholic mm. So I found myself entering Dallas Theological Seminary and it was during a semester studying the book of Romans that I came to Romans chapter 10 and I was reading about the Israelites that they had a zeal for God but it wasn't based on knowledge and they sought to obtain their own righteousness rather than knowing the righteousness of God. And so as I looked at those verses I realized I know so many Roman Catholics who have a zeal for God, but wow. their zeal is not based on biblical knowledge. And though those are also trying to obtain their own yeah. righteousness. And so I think it was those verses that I studied that probably redirected my life. And um, I had a great compassion for the Catholics that I left behind Sure. because I thought for the longest time I was in the one true church and on my way to heaven, mm-hmm. albeit through a detour to purgatory. But when the Lord opened my eyes, I, I just had a real compassion for reaching Catholics. And so my wife, Jane, who is also a former Catholic, we began inviting Catholics over to our home, mm-hmm. sharing the truth of God's word with them. And within three months, we saw 17 Catholics exchange their wow. religion for a relationship with Christ. So. 17.
0: Now, now I, I understand that during this time when you were inviting people over, there was a, a video that you were showing them. What was What was the video?
1: It was a video by Jim McCarthy, Catholicism, Crisis of Faith. It's quite outdated today, but but we used it back in the early 90s to uh, show Catholics that the former nuns and priests that are depicted in the video also have a great compassion. They want Catholics to know the truth, Mm. and so the video was very well done. We've since uh, used other resources to help Catholics come to know the truth, but that really served its purpose at the time.
0: And now you're making resources for for Catholics as well.
1: Yeah, we we are. We've got 16 different DVDs, uh, many of them pertaining to the issue of Roman Catholicism, but we also have produced gospel tracts primarily for reaching Roman Catholics with the gospel. Mm -hmm. And also I've written a couple of books, Preparing for Eternity, which is a book that is written out of my motivation and love for Catholics to share the truth with them. And in this book, Preparing for Eternity forces them to make a decision. Hmm. Because what I do is I lay out the word of God right alongside the teachings of their catechism. And I show how antithetical the two are, how diametrically opposed. And it forces a Catholic to make a choice. Am I going to trust the teachings of Christ and his word the teachings and traditions of my religion
0: now in your experience would you say that most catholics are familiar with their catechism most catholics when you say something like let's look over here and in you know section point. 20 or whatever, is this something that the Catholic has ever even seen seen before for most of them? Or? It all
1: depends on whether or not they were catechized in the first eight years of their life or first 12 years. Okay. I was. I was very catechized. Uh, I was a very devout Catholic, mm-hmm. so I think most Catholics today are very nominal. Mm-hmm. They don't know a whole lot about what their church teaches but they're convinced that they belong to the one true church and their church or their religion will ultimately get them to heaven. So they're very indifferent to spiritual truth. Well,
0: because I was a Catholic till age 21, and and I fit exactly into the category you just described. Mm -hmm. I didn't know much at all about the church, but I did know um, that I was probably going to go to heaven um, because I wasn't that bad of a person. And as far as I knew, I was in the right religion so mm-hmm. you know it, it was I, I was definitely in the category of catholic a nominal catholic sure so if i want to get some of these resources if i want to check out your books and tracks wh- where do i go to get that you, you have a, a website
1: yeah we do it's proclaiming the okay so people can either go to the website proclaiming the or they can call us at 817-379-5300. And we're here to serve the body of Christ. We're here to equip and encourage Christians to reach out to what we consider as the world's largest and most neglected mission field, mm. and that's the Roman Catholic religion.
0: Yeah, no, I, I would agree. You know, I live in Southern California, close to the the border of Mexico, and most of the people who I run it run into. If they have any kind of religion, it's going to be Catholic. Mm-hmm. You know. Now, something that I do now as a Christian, I go out and witness to people, try to get into gospel conversations, and I meet a lot of Catholics. And the people listening to this podcast, you know, the, the reason they're listening to this, um, most of them, hopefully, is because they want to do some witnessing as well. And so the question I have for you, as someone with a whole lot of years of experience, specifically reaching out to Roman Catholics, if I'm going to talk to a Roman Catholic about the gospel, what are the, let's say, three most important things I need to know? What are, or more specifically, what do they need to know in order to you know, understand what the gospel is? What are, what are the main points?
1: I would say the three most important things are to establish the Bible as the supreme authority in all matters of faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, until you do that it really doesn't matter what you say because if they're going to keep going to their tradition or to what their priest said then it doesn't really matter the rest of the conversation. You must establish the Bible as the supreme authority. In two of the verses I used there are Acts 17 11 where the Apostle Paul commended the Bereans for searching the Scriptures to test the veracity of his teaching, showing that every man's teaching needs to be tested with the Word of God. And the other would be their sacred traditions are subservient to the Scriptures. And the Lord Jesus rebuked the apostate Jews in Mark 7 for nullifying the Word of God for the sake of their tradition. Hmm. And so clearly in both cases you see Scripture has the authority over the teachings of men and over the traditions of men
0: now this is actually really interesting because i remember as a catholic i was never encouraged to read the bible and today within the catholic church they would say it's the word of god but in practice it's not something that most catholics really uh about or go to a whole lot
1: well you need to encourage them by sharing what Jesus said hmm. if you're a true disciple of mine you will abide in my word hmm. then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free That's great. and so I encourage Catholics prove to be a disciple of Christ hmm. abide in his word once you read the truth of his word you're gonna be set free from religious deception yeah and so I would encourage Catholics to prove themselves by reading the Word of God we also need to share with them another very important issue can come out of this. The word of God, according to Peter, is the imperishable seed that will bring forth life to those who are dead in their sins, hmm. 1 Peter 1.23. So as they're reading the word of God and they repent and believe it, that is the very seed that will bring them to life in Christ.
0: So according to who they would consider, um, other than Jesus, probably the most important figure yeah. in the Bible, Peter, they're, according to them, their first pope, there's something that their first Pope says, and that is read the Bible, know the Bible, trust the Bible. First Peter 123.
1: And that's, Eddie, you talked about the most important things to share with the Catholic. We got off on a little tangent, but yeah. the second most important thing would be the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Okay. You see, Roman Catholics are told they must do things to appease God in order to merit salvation. And so Until they know that Christ is sufficient, they're going to be unwilling to let go of everything they're doing to help save themselves. So we need to establish the sufficiency of Christ. And the two things that keep anyone out of heaven were both accomplished by Christ. We have an eternal sin debt that finite man can never pay. Mm. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, became a man to cancel that eternal debt. Well, that only gets you out of hell. It doesn't get you to heaven. In order to get to heaven, you have to have the perfect righteousness that God's righteousness that's right. requires. And as sinful human beings, we can never obtain the perfection that God requires. But God, knowing that, said that I'll give you the gift of my son's righteousness if you will trust in him. Romans 5, 17. So that's given as a gift. It's our only passport to heaven. Yeah. Christ is sufficient. He canceled the eternal debt. He gives you his righteousness. That's all we need for entrance into heaven.
0: So I, I remember as a Catholic and what what I've seen with, with current Catholics is they're not so much looking at Christ as him being sufficient as a sacrifice or being sufficient to get them into heaven. They're looking at him more of the great example. Christ suffered, he gave him himself, therefore we need to give of ourselves too. Maybe that means in doing charity or in in you know suffering for some good cause but so often he's seen as just an example christ was good therefore we need to be good and another another way i kind of tend to see jesus as depicted within the catholic church and i don't know if this is just me and my opinion but Every time I see Jesus within a Catholic church, he's this dead guy up on a cross, and he's very weak looking, and he's nothing even close to the Christ depicted of scripture who will be coming back as reigning king with all authority, the one who will judge the living and the dead. And so it, it's it's this very skewed image of who Jesus Christ is, both in the image portrayed of, of him in all their relics and paintings, and and but more importantly, just in the fact that he is sufficient, you know? It's it's a very uh, twisted image, I I would say. Yeah, I
1: think that's intentional because the three depictions of Christ in the Catholic Church are a helpless babe in the arms of his mother, Mm. or a dead man hanging on a cross, or a lifeless piece of bread called the Eucharist. Mm. In all three of those images, he's helpless to do anything for Catholics. So we need to point to the resurrected, ascended Christ who now sits at the right hand of God, interceding on all those who will trust in Him, being their advocate when the devil comes accusing. That's the Christ that we need to portray, the all-sufficient Savior that now is the Good Shepherd watching over His sheep. Mm. Amen.
0: Okay, so the first thing that was very important is the Bible as the authority in all matters of faith. Secondly, you said we need to point Catholics to the sufficiency of Christ. What would be uh, another thing that um, is just... The third thing
1: is the nature of Catholicism is they're taught they can only expect conditional life. They can never have the assurance of eternal life. So I like to begin a conversation with 1 John 5:13, where John writes to those who believe in the name of the Son of God that mm-hmm. you can know that you have eternal life. See, that's foreign language to a Catholic.
0: They don't know it's possible no. to know. In fact,
1: sure. they even are told they're committing the sin of presumption if they would dare say that they qualify for eternal life. Wow,
0: so if they believe that verse, they're sinning.
1: If they believe the promises of God, they're sinning. Wow. That's how distorted the Catholic religion really is. Mm.
0: Most of the Catholics I have met and come across, and I haven't met all of them, but the ones I have met, they don't seem to be too versed on their own doctrine. It's almost like they're, they're more similar to myself when I was a Catholic. To where I just kind of had enough religion in me to satisfy my own conscience to, to think that I was on my way to heaven. Never re- really cared about studying any kind of Catholic book other than the books I studied when I went through, you know, communion and confession and and did all, all the, the rituals that I did. And I've actually been street witnessing on a pretty regular basis for about the past 10 years. I've talked to a lot of Catholics. And in that time, I have only, one time have I run into Catholics um, who actually knew their own doctrine. I was out um, open air preaching in Oceanside and a group of um, young people, they were in their 20s, they came around and they were asking questions. And I come to find out this is a group from from a Catholic seminary. And they were very interested in my gospel presentation because in their eyes it was like, oh, here's a Protestant. Let's ask them some questions. And, and so I, I talked to them for, it was, it was a good couple hours and... and you know, it was a great conversation. Um, but this is the only time I've ever actually run into Catholics who know their stuff. You know, why is that? Why, why is it that it just seems like most most Catholics they don't know all the doctrine point, the main doctrinal points of their own church. They don't. They can't explain why they have a pope right now who has said things like, "Well, if." If this little kid's dad is an atheist, as long as he's a good person, he could probably go to heaven, too. That goes totally against not only the Bible, but Catholic teaching, you know. And, and so it, I, know, I know it's kind of a big, big convoluted question. But, you know, basically, why is it that most of the, of the Catholics I run into just don't know a whole lot about their own Catholicism?
1: Well, you're talking about the majority of Roman Catholics, but you do have two extremes. You've got the twice-a-year Catholics, and even more extreme than that, you have those that are, are Catholic by name only, mm. and they don't go to church anymore. Yep. But if you ever say anything that might be exposing the error, then they come to the defense of the church they right. don't even go to anymore. So you've yep. got those on one extreme. Then you've got the other extreme. You've got former Protestants now that are becoming the teaching authority of the Catholic yes, Church. Yes, I've heard of it. And they're converted to, to Catholic. Catholicism, they know their scriptures. And so they're teaching their followers how to defend against evangelicals that come witnessing. Mm. But in the middle of those two extremes are the ones that you talk about. I don't mean to say this derogatorily, but most Catholics check their brain at the door. Mm. They go through the rituals during the mass. They leave early. Then they put God on the shelf and they don't think about him until the next week when they're mandated to come back to the sacrifice of the mass under the penalty of mortal sin. Catholicism is a very empty religion. There is no hope in the Catholic Church. They have conditional life. There's no promise hmm. of eternal life given by the Catholic Church. And so most Catholics are just nominal Catholics. You know, they're proud to be a Catholic because they're told it's the one true church and just stick with us and we'll get you to heaven. Yeah. Albeit through a detour in purgatory. But you know, that's the that's the mindset of most Catholics. They're disinterested with anything pertaining to spiritual truth. Hmm.
0: Now once I left the Catholic Church, and the reason I left was basically because I started reading the Bible and started understanding what it what it said and, and saw just a lot of differences between the Bible that the Catholic Church claims is their authority, and yet there were so many things in it that were totally against what they do and what they believe. And so I eventually left the Catholic Church, but I would still go back once in a while for Maybe a, a a family you know Christmas service type of thing or some kind of fam- family event. Yeah. I finally stopped going to those those kind of things because I just couldn't stomach what was going on in the altar when they would do their communion service when mm-hmm. they would do their um, you know pre- presenting the host, right? And and so even though I didn't know much doctrine at all, you know, and I didn't know a whole lot of Bible at, at this point, this was early on, it still just absolutely disgusted me that in my eyes, it seemed what they were doing is they were bringing back Jesus in order to do some ritual with him. And then they were letting him aside and doing it again the, the next day. And it, and it was like as if this guy... Up front thought he had the power to bring Jesus back on will. And I'm thinking, this is Jesus. He's gonna judge this guy. He's gonna judge the living and the dead. He's a, he's a he's a king. He's not some thing that you can just make into a little ritual. So so what are the main issues with what's going on up there at the altar? Transubstantiation, I believe, is the term. Could you mm-hmm. explain that to explain that to me why I got so mad about this thing <laughs> I was seeing up there?
1: father john o'brien in his book faith of millions explains what happens at the sacrifice of the mass
0: from the from the catholic point of view yeah and
1: it's got the imprimatur of the catholic church so this is official catholic teaching but he writes that when the priest speaks the words of consecration he pulls christ down from his throne in heaven and jesus the omnipotent all-powerful god bows his head in humble obedience to the priest's command, it goes on to say this is a power greater than that of saints and angels.
0: This is a this is an official Catholic yes, teaching. The priest speaks,
1: and lo, Christ, the eternal, omnipotent God, bows his head in humble obedience to the priest's command. This is Roman Catholicism. A sinful priest has the power to call Jesus down from heaven to continue on an altar what he finished on the cross. And um, if Catholics only knew this my wife was a catholic also but she never believed that she was eating the physical body and blood of christ
0: because that's that's what they teach as well right i
1: was a very devout catholic i believed it i Mm. believed i was consuming jesus and boy um, when god opened my eyes it's so repulsive to think that that's what the catholic church teaches and practices and it's the very nature of deception it's indoctrination so powerful that catholics just believe it and don't ask questions
0: so how does that work? So in, in the mind of uh, the priest or, you know, anyone who's believing that, that teaching, um, f- from what I understand, transubstantiation is a term where when a Catholic is eating their communion, their, their wafer, in some way they're actually eating the physical body of, of Christ. Um, yeah. uh, well, like... How? Like how, did, how? What? What is it they believe? Well, the outer going?
1: substance remains the same, but the inner substance has changed into the physical body and blood of Christ through the quote-unquote miracle of transubstantiation. But again, it's uh, it's not a miracle. It's a hoax. It's a counterfeit Christ. Catholics who worship the Eucharist are committing the most serious sin of idolatry, mm. because we know that it's a false Christ. Uh, Jesus said, "I must remain in heaven until." My enemies have been made my footstool, Acts chapter 3. So he's still in heaven. And then Hebrews 9.28 says he will return again, not in association with sin. He will return a second time. Hmm. And so we know from Scripture that the priest doesn't have the power to call Jesus down. He's remaining in heaven. He will return a second time. The Bible says when, where, and how. When? After the tribulation. Where? To the Mount of Olives. How? The same way He left. And so this is a false Christ. It's idolatry, and Catholics need to know this.
0: I'll tell you, when I was talking to those seminary students on the pier, we were having a great conversation. I, I was, you know, do, doing my best using Scripture to answer um, all their questions: How does a person get to heaven? What, what, who, who are the saints, and all these different things? Um, but the the thing that came up that caused me just to to need to Bow out of the conversation w- was because the issue of the Eucharist came up, and I actually started getting so upset in the conversation. It was a, it was a first and only time I've ever been witnessing to someone, where I just had to leave the conversation because I was mm-hmm. just getting extremely angry. Yes, you know, and and it was it was it was horrible, yeah. and it, and it just it just that experience, you know, just kind of solidified what I what I felt. In my in my younger days, when I left the church, it's it's just such a
1: mm-hmm. such a horrible,
0: vile, blasphemous it really is. teaching. And like you said, most Catholics don't even think about that. I never thought about that mm-hmm. while I was in the church. Once I came out and I realized what was what was going on, it was just such a uh, a revelation. Mm-hmm. You know. Okay, so you've given us three things to kind of camp out on, or or at least make sure we we bring this up with with Catholics what are some good questions that you ask Catholics when you're getting into a conversations with them well
1: I like the acronym fire because it's really a good uh, way to engage people F stands for friendship uh, family upbringing you know you ask questions about how they were growing up and then I is interest what common interest do you have mm. uh, R would be um, your religious upbringing where'd you go to church uh, what, what kind of a denomination Or you talk about their religious background and after you've asked those questions F-I-R then the E is Evangelized. Huh. now okay. you have the answers that you need oh, that's good. so you can know which direction to go but some of the questions um, how does your church teach that you have any hope of going to heaven it's amazing what Catholics respond hmm. well I don't know that our church has ever taught us that
0: you would think that's what you're going to church for
1: <laughs> you, you would think so yeah. <laughs> you know But unfortunately, a lot of Protestant churches don't teach (laughs) that either. That's true. That's very true. Um, So um, are you ready to meet your creator? You know, one day we will all stand before our creator. He will either be a sin-avenging judge or a glorious Savior. And you have time on this earth to put your trust in Him so that when you meet Him, He is your Savior. But if you reject Him, then you will meet Him as a sin-avenging judge and you will have to pay for the penalty of your own sins. So that's another great question. Uh, Where do you go for truth? You know, and and so often uh, Catholics will say, well, I I just look within, you know, I'm sure that uh, whatever I believe in my heart is true, and they need to know that the heart is deceptively wicked and who can trust it. Yeah, that goes directly against the Bible. Yeah, and sometimes they'll say they're priests, they're Pope, yeah, just my experience, my experience in life, Um, but then you have to share with them there's only one infallible source that will never mislead you, never deceive you. And that's Christ in his word. He is the truth. So those are some good questions. Um, Where do you hope to spend eternity?
0: Hmm.
1: Well, I hope it's heaven. Do you know you can know for sure right here and now?
0: So that really is the issue, is that a Catholic, based on the teaching they're receiving and everything they know about God as they've learned in the church, they can't know. They can't know where they're going.
1: Because it's based on what they do rather than what Christ has done. Huh. And so if someone
0: thinks they're going, basically, they would just be seen as proud. Sure. Because how could you possibly yeah, know that you're I done that, enough. that good? I've done enough. How do you show a person in, a, in a, a quick kind of way, not that we have to be quick with everybody we talk to, but how do you just get to the point of showing a Catholic that getting to heaven, being right with God is not based on what they do?
1: Two verses that have set so many Roman Catholics free would be Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Mm -hmm. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no man may boast. And you ask a Catholic, what does that mean to you? It's not of yourself. It's not of works. So why are you trusting what you're doing? And then that, of course, leads to the question, well, how then can I be saved? And then you point to Christ as the all-sufficient Savior. Now,
0: Ephesians 289, it says we, we are saved by, by grace. And yet, within Catholicism, one of the issues that comes up is just an understanding of that word grace. To a Catholic, the word grace, it can mean something different than it means to a Christian. Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, it does. Uh, paragraph 2027 20, of the Catechism says Catholics must merit the graces necessary for eternal life. So the question then is, how do you merit the unmerited favor of God? Because that's what biblical grace is. It's the Hmm. unmerited favor. It's given freely by God. And so you have to define terms when you're witnessing to Catholics.
0: Isn't that interesting? In, In Mormonism, there's something similar. In that same verse, the Book of Mormon, I believe, is where it says, you are saved by grace through faith. After all, you can do. Yeah. So, so they're they're hitting on that same issue that mm-hmm. the the false religions do not want to point to people towards
1: mm-hmm. the
0: grace of God, and that really is the difference between the Bible and not just Catholicism, but every other religion. It seems like just yeah. the issue of grace versus works.
1: Mm-hmm. You know. Another question I like to ask anyone, whether it be Catholic or Christian or anyone that doesn't even no God, Yeah. why did Jesus have to die? Hmm. Boy, it gets you right to the core of the gospel.
0: I've asked, I, I, I'll, I'll talk to people who say they go to a Christian church and they can't, under, they can't answer no. that question sometimes.
1: Mm-mm.
0: Yeah, that's a great
1: question. It all starts with the wages of sin is death. Hmm. Jesus went to the cross to satisfy divine justice, dying in the place of repenting sinners so that they would not have to face the punishment of God.
0: Yeah. Now, I just want to um, ask a cu- couple more questions here, just, just these are things that come up when talking to Catholics specifically. The one thing that Catholics love to say is, you know what, you wouldn't even have the Bible if it wasn't for my church. The Catholic Church gave you the Bible. How do you answer that?
1: Well, there's a lot of ways to answer that, but number one, the Catholic Church wasn't even in existence when the Old Testament was written. And mm. so. We have the Old Testament in spite of the Catholic Church.
0: They're usually talking about the New Testament when they make that claim.
1: And so in the New Testament, uh, we know from Scripture that God inspired 40 different men over a 1,500-year period on three different continents, all from different walks of life. They penned the inspired Word of God, the papyrus. Those uh, letters were passed around to different churches. People recognized them as Holy Scripture even before a council convened to represent them as a part of the canon. And so the early church knew that these were the inspired writings of the apostles, and many were willing to die for the truth found in these sacred writings, these scriptures and so they were first person eyewitnesses to the life and resurrection of Christ and, and so we know from uh, the early church that people that understood the scriptures, they knew they were inspired writings of God. We see from 2nd Timothy, I just happened to have the scripture open, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction and in righteousness that the man of god may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work all scripture is given by an inspiration of god So this is God breathed. He breathed the scriptures into the apostles who penned it to the papyrus. And that's how we know that scripture is from God. I also tell Catholics that we have the Bible in spite of your religion because it was your religion that placed it on the list of forbidden books at the Council (laughs) of Trent. And another (laughs) thing I tell Catholics, since you think you gave us the Bible, why don't you abide in it?
0: So true. You gave us the Bible, but most Catholics don't read right. it. That's a great point.
1: And by the way, the canon was primarily to eliminate spurious books.
0: Now when you say the canon you mean the, the collection I'm of sorry, books? I'm sorry,
1: the council the, that okay. established the canon Okay. was initially to eliminate spurious books. There was many books vying for canonicity, mm-hmm. canonicity mm-hmm. but uh, the the councils got together and said No, these are the inspired writings and these are not.
0: The picture people give that this church council had a meeting and they said, okay, we're going to put this book in the Bible, we're going to put that book in the Bible. But you're saying that wasn't it at all. They already had their scriptures and they were getting rid of books that were obviously not inspired. Okay, another issue that comes up with Catholics, this is one of the big ones, is the assertion that Peter was the first pope. And ever since him, there have been a succession of popes. And now the pope that is here today, he is the authority from God. And they base that on Jesus called Peter the rock. And he said, on this rock, I will build my church. And so how do you address
1: that? Yeah, it's Matthew sixteen, 16 eighteen. Jesus just asked the question, who do men say that I am? and peter said you are the christ the son of the living god Mm -hmm. and jesus said this was revealed to you not by man but by my father in heaven and peter upon this rock i will build my church Mm -hmm. what did peter just do he just made a profession of faith divinely inspired by god in heaven Mm -hmm. as to who christ is so anyone who makes that same profession of faith revealed by god in heaven will be part of christ's church and we know that jesus wasn't referring to peter as the rock because a few verses later Jesus talks about going to Jerusalem to die for his church before he builds it and Peter said Lord may it never be. And Jesus said get behind me Satan you have in mind the things of men rather than the things of God so this doesn't sound like Jesus would build his church on a fallible man.
0: Right who he just called Satan.
1: Who just said Peter was the mouthpiece of the devil so clearly you know scripture tells us that um, The rock was Christ. Paul said that, 1 Corinthians 10. We see all the way through the Psalms, God was the rock. Even Peter referred to himself as a fellow elder. And
0: then, one more thing that I have heard many Catholics say in, you know, we might point out the fact that the Bible says that we're to not have any idols before us, we're to only pray to. God and Catholics will pray to Mary they do a lot of things in regards to Mary and one of the things that Catholics will say you know they'll say we're not praying to Mary we're not worshiping Mary we're praying through Mary it's like if I wanted something from you I might ask your mom and and she might put in a good word for me Mm. or they might say something like you know we're we're not actually worshiping her we're just venerating her what does that even mean like what what are they doing there
1: Well, they are praying to Mary. Mm -hmm. They start off with Hail Mary. That's a good point. They're addressing Mary. (laughs) That's a very good point. They're actually petitioning her. The reason Catholics feel comfortable praying to Mary is because the Catholic Church has created another Mary. It's a perversion of the true Mary. Mary herself... The Mary in the Bible? Yes. Okay. Mary herself needed a Savior. She called God her Savior. Only sinners need Saviors. Mm. And so... For Catholics to pray to Mary is because she's been given a lot of divine attributes. She's said to be the mediatrix of all grace. She's said to be the advocate, which is a title given only to Christ. She's the queen of heaven. Christ is the king. So everything that they have given to Christ, they pass over and give an attribute to Mary. They haven't called her omniscient or omnipresent, but she would have to be if 1.2 billion Catholics are praying to her. The only way she could hear all of them is if she were omniscient and omnipresent. That's so,
0: true, and she'd know. She'd have to know all languages. Yeah,
1: well. and I, I challenge Catholics: um, show me one verse in the Bible where any God-fearing person prays to anyone other than God. Hmm. Wow! And you—you you want the, you want them to get in the Bible? Challenge them. Yeah. Find a verse. And maybe while they're in there, the rest of their faith will be challenged as they read the scriptures that yeah. refute their religion. Well, Mike, you've
0: given us a lot of good information here. As we go to our Catholic friends and neighbors, this can get very heated. It's not always easy to talk yeah. to someone, especially when it's issues of, of religion, things mm-hmm. that are so close to a people. And you're talking about people's traditions and their families and they've, they've grown up with this stuff. What advice can you give us as far as if, if I'm going to talk to someone about you know Catholicism and attempting to get them to see the deception behind it? What advice can you give us as, as far as not turning it into a big argument or a fight or you know what, what, what do we as Christians need to do as we're reaching out to Catholics with the truth of the gospel?
1: Well, keep in mind, unbelievers do not want to be preached at. So an effective way is to ask them questions that we've talked about. But we never can't argue anyone into heaven. Mm. All we're called to do is to deliver the message from the pages of Scripture to the person's ear. Yeah. God's responsible to take it from the ear to the heart. So we have been successful when we have shared the word of God, the gospel of Christ with them. And I encourage when you're witnessing the Catholics, if they have their own Bible, sit down and open it, Hmm. point them to scriptures, ask them, what is God saying there? And that way it eliminates any arguments because it's their interpretation. They can't say it's yours because you're not interpreting it.
0: Right. They're just reading it.
1: You're right. And you were
0: saying earlier, you'll even do that with their Catholic version of the Bible.
1: Because they're told not to trust anything from a Protestant church. Hmm. So you eliminate an obstacle by using their Bible. And they've got the same 66 books that we do. They've added a few, but you don't have to go there. Be Christlike, speak the truth in love, have compassion, and recognize that not everybody is going to humble themselves under the sovereign word of God. If you sense that they have not a teachable spirit, maybe it's time to leave a gospel track and mm. say, let's get together again and talk some more. Whenever the discussion starts to get heated or argumentative, that's probably a time to, to leave a gospel track and, and come back later. And, yeah. and we can't ever forget the power of prayer. Absolutely. You know, this is a spiritual battle. And unless uh, the Spirit of God is involved, then the Word of God will not place any impact on the person that's hearing it. We know that um, there's two things necessary for conversion. The Word of God must go forth and the Spirit of God must bring conviction. Mm. So that's why it's so important to pray that God would open their eyes, open their hearts as He opened Lydia's heart, and then pray the Word of God would be the imperishable seed that finds fertile soil in their heart and begins to grow and bring forth life.
0: Amen. Okay, and so if we're going to end that conversation and leave a gospel track, we are going to want to leave some of Mike's Proclaiming the Truth tracks. So and Mike, if you could just tell us one more time, what is the what is your website where we could find these at?
1: The website is proclaimingthegospel.org. We have six different gospel tracks, all designed to reach people that are lost in religion. You can also call us at 817-379-5300. We are here to equip and encourage the body of Christ to be faithful witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ to make his great commission part of their lives. And I think uh, most... Christians today are apathetic, but we need to remember the Lord's great commission. That's what he left us here on this earth to do, Amen. is to go and spread the good news.
0: One last thing, I, I noticed that you have an email newsletter that you yes. send out. Um, how do I get that? Do I get that on your website as sure, well? Sure,
1: You can get it on our website. There's a sign up on the first page and mm-hmm. it goes out on the first of every month. Or you can give us a call and we'll place your email address on our monthly e-newsletter. It's just like salvation. It's free. So we send (laughs) it out to over 30,000 people now throughout the world.
0: Okay. And I would encourage you all to get on that website, get that email newsletter. It's a great resource. Mike updates everyone on outreaches that he's doing and when he is speaking at a church in your area. So get on there. And Mike, I just want to thank you so much for being on the show. And I just um, hope that the rest of your time out here in Southern California is fruitful as you teach and preach and continue to reach out to Roman Catholics. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Eddie. It's been a pleasure. Ray Comfort here. If you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, please take a moment to do so now. On your phone's podcast app, search for Romans Road with Eddie Roman. And when you find it, hit subscribe. It's free, and by doing so, you'll get all episodes past, present, and future. Then when you're finished, head over to livingwaters.com for a huge collection of evangelism videos, articles, tracks, and resources to help you share the gospel with those around you. That's livingwaters.com.
0: Thanks for listening to Roman's Road. If you want to learn how to evangelize, check out my book, Search and Rescue, available at EddieRoman.com. On my website, you'll also find videos and other things to encourage you to preach the gospel to your friends and family. That's eddyroman.com. See you next time.